You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show. The place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. We go live as soon as every IU game ends, celebrating with you after wins and commiserating with you after losses, all the while providing instant reaction and analysis with our veteran crew that has been breaking down IU games together since 2011. And we invite you to be part of the discussion too with our moderated live chat that runs alongside the post-game show. Bookmark the URL assemblycall.com slash live and join us right after the final buzzer sounds. That's assemblycall.com slash live. That is how you're a champion. It really is. And now get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another special edition off-season episode of the Assembly Call. Very excited to be with you tonight. I'm your host, Jared Morris, joined this evening by Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Will DeWitt unable to join us? Uh, those bears are 0-3, and uh, the tears are just too much. Uh, he couldn't bear to be on camera. Uh, but we do uh, look forward to Will joining us on a future episode of the Assembly Call. Uh, but... Andy, Andy Ryan are here, and we are going to talk about the latest uh, in the world of IU basketball. Obviously, there was an unfortunate injury that we need to discuss, uh, but there was a big commitment uh, this week that we need to discuss as well, and Ryan has a scouting report of that player. We're going to break him down. we got some interesting tweets from Fran Fraschilla, and then we are going to continue with our series voting on the greatest IU player to wear every number. We did numbers one through five in our last episode. We are doing numbers six through 12 uh, in this episode. So that'll be a lot of fun. But we will begin, uh, as we always do, with tonight's Who's Your Proud banner moment. Uh, and the banner moment for me uh, is about that commitment that I just mentioned. A uh, guy by the name of Justin Smith from Illinois committed to Indiana this week. Uh, an important first domino to fall for Indiana in this uh, recruiting cycle. Uh, and what I really find most impressive about this, and obviously the player is terrific, and we're going to talk about the player, uh, but what I really find most impressive about this is who Indiana went up against and beat to get this recruit. It came down to Indiana versus Villanova, and Villanova actually has a guy, Jalen Brunson, who is a teammate uh, of Justin Smith's in high school. Uh, and... You know, obviously, you look at that and you think, well, the odds are probably stacked a little bit in the favor of the national champions. Villanova has quite a bit of momentum, uh, but Indiana uh, was able to prevail in this one. And, you know, when you read why, when you read quotes from Justin Smith uh, and his coach about why, it really came down to just the constant presence of Indiana, how early they were with him. And we hear this a lot with guys who come to Indiana, the vision that the coaches had for him as a player and how he can develop. And the reason why that is this week's Hoosier Proud banner moment is because, I, you know, I've seen some whispers and some concern about recruiting, and I've felt a little twinge of it, too, you know, without getting a commitment yet for this 2017 class. But 
you know, I think it's safe to feel comfortable with what this staff is doing from a recruiting perspective. You know, Indiana has a lot of irons in the fire with some top rated recruits, obviously chief among them, Chris Wilkes, five star from Indiana that we hope commits. Uh, We will see. But I think Tom and his staff are doing a good job and pulling a guy like Justin Smith, especially considering who Indiana was up against, uh, is a good sign that the staff is on point uh, and getting the types of players we need to get uh, to play at Indiana. And we will talk more about the individual player here uh, in just a little bit. But that is tonight's Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, And I do just want to say, obviously, the Hoosier Proud banner moment is sponsored by our friends at Hoosier Proud. Go to HoosierProud.com to view a unique selection of T-shirts designed with the proud Hoosier in mind, which is you. Uh, You might have seen the Kick Was Good T-shirt that went viral a few weeks back. I recently purchased my Indiana Forever Bicentennial tee in maroon. Uh, I love it. And I'm actually taking a trip to Indiana uh, uh, this week, and I'll be wearing that when I get off the plane. Uh, And I bought the Simply Indiana tee for my brother on his birthday. He loved it. The question is, which shirt will you choose to display your Hoosier pride? Go to HoosierProud.com to browse their entire selection. And once you choose your shirt, use the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, to get 15% off your entire order. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for 15% off at HoosierProud.com. All right, let's go around the horn. Andy, over to you first. Your bottom's line. Well, he probably needs to unmute himself first. This he does need to unmute himself. All right. I th- try it again. No, he's, he's muted again. It's fine. <laughs> Actually makes the show better. All right. Let's try. <laughs> let's try. Let's try one more time. Um, so a couple couple things about the uh, Who's Your Proud shirt. I did wear my uh, Cake Was Good shirt to a local craft beer festival here a couple uh, couple weeks ago and got myself a free beer for it because the woman uh, serving was the treasurer of the local alumni association. So oh, actual awesome. results actual results may vary, but for me it turned out to be uh, <laughs> turned out to be a winner. Um, and then yeah, I mean no truth to the rumor that Will isn't showing up because uh, of what uh, Carson Wentz and the Eagles did to his Bears uh, last Monday night. Um, so in terms of Carson IU is, stuff, that, Carson is for real, man. I wrote about it today. He is for real. I love that kid. I know. I'm not gonna. Don't try to bait me into like this being like an Eagles conversation that I'm actually I'm about excited to about. Both of you. All right, that seems fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of basketball wise, I mean, I think that one of the other things that we're gonna hit on is the Colin Hartman injury. I think that's the big one for what had been a a quiet and uh, positive off season. Uh, you know, to have something happen like that to anybody, let alone a guy who's coming into his senior year, uh, is is a pretty tough blow. Um, while we don't know officially the severity of the injury, I don't think anybody that read that press release uh, felt good about, it, you know, the the short-term prognosis of what that means. Uh, I know on the Peaks podcast this week, uh, Ken Bikoff and Jeff Rabjohns were talking about it a little bit and just talked about what it you know, what it had meant for Hartman to, to be at IU and, and wear the uniform and uh, to see a guy getting ready for his senior season and have that happen uh, so close to it beginning uh, is certainly, certainly tough. So, you know, best wishes to a quick recovery, uh, to him for a quick recovery. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means to the team uh, here in a little bit. But, you know, just wanted to kind of, you know, give our thoughts to him, a, a tough time uh, for him. But I think uh, he, he certainly strikes me as a guy who is going to be uh, right there, even if he's not on the court, you know, helping guys and, and getting them in a position to succeed uh, even without him. Ryan, do you have a rant for us? Yeah, it's Chargers-based, but I'll, I'll spare you that. Um, 
No, I, I, I think I agree with Andy. I think that the big news to come out while the commitment of Justin Smith was a, a big deal, and, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, and he's certainly a player that's going to do some great things at Indiana. Uh, I think that, that the Hartman news was was what rocked everybody uh, over this past, you know, since our last show. Uh, hopefully, you know, it, uh, hoping against hope, essentially, that, that he's all right uh, long term, but – uh, those kind of non-contact injuries, as Indiana fans know from the past, they usually mean bad things. And uh, so let's let's our thoughts are with him. As Andy said, I think this guy's a senior leader who's going to be with the team uh, and and very involved because that's just the kind of kid he is. But we're certainly going to miss him on the court. Uh, I think he's a he's he's one of those guys who his entire career has done Colin Hartman things and made a difference. So. Uh, that's something, you know, an area where other people are going to have to step up. And, and we certainly have the players to fill those roles, uh, uh, you know, thanks to a couple of great recruiting classes. But, uh, you know, somebody's got to step in and, and do it quickly and, and fill that void because there there are very few guys who could do the dirty little things that 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 Colin Hartman does with consistency. And, uh, and, and so it's going to be a problem, you know, filling those roles on the court. So as Andy said, thoughts with him. And I think that's the story of the week and, and the thing we're all worried about. Uh, well, there has been some positive news, of course, that we'll get into. It is look, and hopefully it becomes a moot point, you know, talking about replacing Colin because he ends up being okay. I think what has everybody concerned is Indiana tends to be a pretty tight lipped program when it comes to injuries. So for them to issue a release as they did, uh, it, you know, it, it just, it doesn't give you a good feeling, but we wait for official word. But in the meantime, let's talk about what it means and let's talk about who can step in and replace, uh, what Hartman was expected to bring. Obviously no one can step in and replace his experience and leadership. And, and I talked about this in Saturday's six banner Saturday, which if you're not getting, make sure you go to assemblycall.com slash join, activate your free membership and you get our six banner Saturday news roundups, which are putting a lot of time into, and people seem to like. And so, uh, I hope you're getting those, but you know, I went through and, 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 and look, you can't replace the experience and leadership. No one on the roster can. The question is, can we replace some of the production? I think when you look at it from a lineup perspective, there are really two different ways I think people were kind of projecting the lineups to go as to start the season. Either it was going to be a three-guard lineup with Newkirk, Blackman, and Robert Johnson, and then probably Hartman coming off the bench because I think the expectations that OG and uh, Thomas Bryant are both going to start. Or... You would have looked at it with Robert Johnson and James Blackman in the backcourt and then OG and Hartman at the forward positions and then Bryant. Well, now, if Hartman is out, who's the next guy that steps up? And to me, it's pretty obvious that it's Jawan Morgan. And, you know, we talk about Colin Hartman things. Jawan seems like, of all the guys on the roster, the guy most likely to get a hashtag Jawan Morgan things. He's talked from day one, the day he committed to Indiana, about doing the dirty work and being a guy who will go do that. And he showed last year as a freshman, especially in Big Ten play, how versatile he is on defense, how willing he is to go down and mix it up. But he also showed an ability to step out and hit a three and handle the ball a little bit. Some things, obviously, that Colin Hartman can do as well. So to me, he seems like the guy who steps in. And, you know, when you look statistically at some of the things Hartman does, some of the things Morgan does, I think Morgan can replace the production of Hartman. Uh, but the two things that you still don't have, you don't have that experienced guy, especially in the dog days of the Big Ten, that senior who can help carry you through some tough road games, and it obviously hurts your depth uh, because now you don't have a guy like Hartman in the rotation. I mean, Ryan, as you as you look at it, you know, if we assume that Hartman is out, do you agree that Morgan is the guy that steps in, and, and how big of a loss do you think it is you know, for a team looking to defend the Big Ten crown? 
Well, as far as guys who do the little things and, you know, come up with a crazy out of nowhere block on defense, as Hartman did occasionally last year, and, you know, are the ones chasing down rebounds and crazy things like that, that, that you just saw that guy diving all over the floor and making himself a pest. Uh, I think it's going to have to be Morgan and OG Ananobi. And OG Ananobi is probably going to start this year, obviously, but I think that in key moments of games, he's got the ability and the talent to step up and do those things. And I think that, um, that he and Morgan certainly are going to be the guys asked to help out. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a team effort though. You don't replace, uh, somebody of that caliber of just awareness on the floor with one person. You've got to have multiple guys stepping up, filling roles and helping out. Uh, a guy like Curtis Jones could help out doing that too. Just come in, be that athletic guy off the bench and, and, and wreak havoc on the other team. Now it'll be a different type of impact that Hartman would have, but it's another guy to sort of muck things up and make the opponents, you know, struggle to, to, to get what they want on defense. Offensively, you just need people who can can fill that role of being a guy who's on the outside who can finish occasionally, very occasionally, because Hartman was not a guy who drove consistently, but a guy who can finish and hit some big threes for you. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of guys on this team capable of doing that. Now, the question is, is there one guy who can put it all together? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a team effort. Like I said, I think it's going to be Ananobi stepping up. I think it's going to be Morgan stepping up, and I think it's going to be uh, you know some guys off the bench that that have to that have to see the opportunity now. I mean, you can look at this as a negative, or you can look at it if you're on the team as a positive. Where hey, this is my chance to get some more time. This is my chance to show what I can do, and this is my chance to mix it up and and possibly succeed and, and step to the fore. So it's really on these guys to realize, yeah, it's a bummer that Colin's gone, and, and it's going to hurt the team in the short term. But it's also their chance to make an impact on the team, and that's what they came to Indiana for. I mean, let's face it. You know, injuries happen. The reason you recruit is because injuries happen. You you know, this could have happened six weeks from now in, in the middle of a game. We've seen it happen before at Indiana over the last 10 years or so. Big injuries happen. Uh, and, and that's why you recruit and that's why you you build these guys up is so that now you've got somebody who can step in and 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 fill that role. It may not be exactly and it may not be exactly, you know, what we want it to be and, and what we were counting on. But guys have to step up, and that's why they came to Indiana. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the you know kind of immediate answer to that feels like Juwan Morgan uh, to the point that that you brought up. I mean, Hartman has been able to guard, uh, well, been able to, been forced to, however you want to say it, guard multiple positions over the course of his career, uh, even played some center. And so I think you know, as we've talked about with Morgan, that's something that he can do. Um, they brought up in the, the media availability a couple weeks back about how he'd really spent some time working on his shot. Um, you know, as his shoulders gotten better and things like that, I think we saw flashes of him being able to step out and make shots as well. So I think from that standpoint, um, I think that the tangible things that show up on the stat sheet, uh, I think, uh, you know, he can do, I think well, the other thing that happens from that is it, it starts to become, uh, you know, one of the early storylines is, is who, can seize that additional opportunity. So, you know, the ability to ease in a Freddie McSwain, uh, even a Deron Davis to a certain extent, uh, Curtis Jones, who, you know, has a, has decent size, you know, at six, four, even a guy like a Zach McRoberts, um, you know, how do, does one or two of those guys like really step up with the additional minutes that they're likely to get with Hartman out, uh, early on. So if we take a, a, you know, a positive spin on this and maybe he's going to be back at some point during the season, um, you know, early on, there's going to be chances for those minutes. And I think one of the things that we can you know, look for as we play through some of the, you know, the exhibition games and the other, uh, early, early non-conference games will be, you know, who really takes advantage of that opportunity the best. And 
uh, and he's able to step in. So it'll be a, a challenge for sure. But I think, um, you know, on a team, you know, in years past, front court depth has been a huge issue that doesn't appear to be one um, with this team, even though there are some, you know, question marks of what we're going to, uh, you know, be able to expect from guys because it does become a very young front court at that point. But there is uh, there is some depth there. Hey, awesome idea in our live chat from our buddy Gerb. And by the way, if you're not joining us for the live chat during the shows, when we broadcast live, go to assemblycall.com slash live. You just have to have your free membership and you can participate in the live chat. Uh, but, you know, great idea for every if let's you know if Hartman is out this year, we should have a new segment on the postgame show for the Colin Hartman thing of the night. You know, the the moment that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but that contributed to uh, to a victory for Indiana, something like that. Uh, because look, you know, it felt like almost every show where you have Colin Hartman playing in the game, you're talking about those Colin Hartman things that don't show up on the stat sheet, but that really help impact winning. Uh, and that is certainly what Indiana will be missing if Colin is out. Uh, and Andy, I know you want to mention real quick the, the idea of a medical red shirt. Before we do that, uh, I do want to let everybody know about our sponsor uh, for the assembly call, SeatGeek, our other sponsor. Uh, and SeatGeek, obviously, uh, as we've been telling you, is revolutionizing how tickets are purchased online, which is why I buy my tickets there. Andy and Ryan, I know, uh, use it as well. Uh, they're the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the app on my phone. Uh, I used it this summer when I bought baseball tickets. Uh, I plan on using it uh, in January when we come up for the Illinois game because we will be up there for the Illinois game for our annual assembly call meetup. Uh, but everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. They do all the price comparison for you, searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. They do the work. You save the time and money. And they want to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. So here's the best part. Listeners to the assembly call, the first time you buy a ticket from SeatGeek, you get a $20 rebate off that purchase. So to get your rebate, do this. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made that first ticket purchase. So again, download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com and enter the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y today. Uh, and, you know, so Andy, just kind of wrapping up the Colin Hartman topic here, you know, obviously it's a bummer, you know, this, you know, supposed to be Colin's senior season. There is a chance, obviously, that if he is out for the year, that he would have a chance to come back and play, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, as I understand it, he, I was trying to remember just back from, you know, him kind of coming off the other injury, but he really recovered relatively quickly from his other knee injury and, and didn't really end up sitting out a year. He had played too much, uh, I think, his freshman year to to get any kind of medical redshirt. So I think that's an option. It's not something I've heard brought up. Uh, the scholarship situation um, for next season is already a little, uh, a, a little dicey. I mean, obviously just a lot of moving pieces with guys who might go into the draft. So the number of spots open is certainly up for, uh, debate at this point. And it's something we're not going to know until the end of the season. So, um, you'd like to see that be an option. Who knows how all that works out in the end, but I think it's, you know, something else we'll kind of watch as we go through the season, um, and, and start to develop more, more informed opinions on, you know, who these guys might end up you know, leaving, going to the draft um, as the recruiting picture becomes a little bit more clear. But that's just kind of another uh, another factor to, to figure into the, the scholarship uh, numbers uh, as a whole. 
And real quick, before we turn our attention to future Hoosier Justin Smith, Fran Fraschilla did have some interesting tweets. He you know, seems every year to go to an IU practice. Uh, I know he tweeted out that James Blackman Jr. looked good, was moving well, which is obviously very encouraging. Shot looked good. Uh, also said observations from IU practice. Thomas Bryant, OG Ananobi, and Juwan Morgan are all much better. Uh, so the groovement, which is what I've started calling that great recruiting class, they look ready to take that next step from their freshman year to their sophomore year, which is huge because so much of what Indiana wants to do this season is dependent upon those guys taking the next step, each one of them. And also, you know, which I thought was interesting, and you're starting to hear whispers, you know, from everybody who has seen practice or kind of been close to the program, freshman guards Devontae Green and Curtis Jones are impressive. Uh, And that's huge. Obviously, we know how important it is for Indiana's guards to play well with Yogi Ferrell and Nick Zeisloft gone, Robert Johnson and James Blackman Jr. now assuming leadership roles, but who are going to be those guys off the bench? If Devontae Green and Curtis Jones, especially Jones, you know, as another shooter off the bench when you lose a 40% three-point guy in Colin Hartman, that's big uh, if those guys can step in and be ready to play right away. Any reaction uh, to Fran's tweets, Andy? Uh, no, I mean, it, you know, just another, you know, each, each day it feels like a couple things, you know, dropping the bucket of, uh, making it that much more ready for the season as different all American teams come out and previews and all that. So, uh, it was, it was exciting. I, I think the guard comments, um, were probably the ones that stuck out to me the most. Um, I think we, you know, the buzz around, uh, the groovement I'll try to, uh, I'll try to get with your, your terminology there. I think well, they're, they're always been, dancing, you know, like it always feels I, like they're dancing. I like grooving, it. I so. like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, I thought it was about OG's hair somehow, but you know, it could be, could be both. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think, you know, that, that part didn't really shock me. I think the buzz on those guys has been extremely positive um, really all summer. So, you know, the guard, the guard stuff is interesting because, you know, we talk about depth and, and what happens if you lose somebody in the front court, like Colin Hartman, um, we rattled off a number of guys who, who seem poised to uh, step in and, and have a chance to take advantage of that. I think from a guard standpoint, you know, we've talked before about, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of sure things uh, back there once you get past the, you know, the first couple guys. So uh, I think that becomes really important. And I think those guys have both and some of the comments they made in the off season and just some of the things you read about them, I think from an attitude standpoint, it's exciting about what they could bring. And I, I think, um, you know, early indications being good on that front are, are certainly positive, uh, just to give give Green some different options uh, in the backcourt. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how that comes to fruition when they take the court. But um, you know, I, I'd certainly rather hear something like that from a an unbiased observer than uh, than not hearing anything at all. So I think that was at least of the the tidbits that he dropped was the thing that I thought was uh, most noteworthy and most encouraging at the same time. Ryan, any other thoughts on the current Hoosiers before we look ahead to the future Hoosier? Yeah, I think that, uh, well, future and past since we're doing the numbers. Uh, no, I think that uh, that it's good news, of course, all around. Uh, Devontae Green is a guy who, you know, watching his high school fo- film, I thought that it would take a year for him to really make an impact. But everybody I keep talking to around the program and everything I see leaking out is people are really impressed with him. Uh, I think that he's certainly got the skills to eventually be Indiana's point guard. I just figured because of his size and and a few things working against him, he needed to develop a little bit and might, you know, have been a guy who we saw this year, but just in small doses. You think, he can, a- play? You think he can be a point guard? I think that's what he's going to eventually have to be because of his size. And I think that I think that he'll be a scoring guard who can handle the ball. Yeah. I think that's the – you know, I mean, he's not going to be a pure 
pass first point guard. I, but I don't think those really exist that much anymore. I mean, Yogi wasn't even that. Um, you know, he was his freshman year out of necessity because he had all those guys surrounding him. But I think that um, these guys coming in now are all combo guards to one degree or another. It's just how far to the scoring uh, you know, side they are and how far to the passing side they are. Um, I think that that's eventually what their plan for him is, is to run the point and, and to hear people say positive things about him and keep pushing him and keep pushing uh, Curtis Jones as, as guys who are really playing well uh, is great to hear because I think we knew that the front court was going to be better this year and, and have more depth. But the backcourt, you know, was a question mark with Yogi gone and and Zaislav gone and, and Troy Williams gone. So, I mean, Troy was essentially a wing player, uh, though he was a forward in name only. Uh, I think that that seeing more perimeter guys step up is a big deal for this team because, uh, again, as I said earlier, you recruit to have depth because stuff happens during the year. You're going to be missing guys. You're going to, you know, go a game without somebody. You need guys who can step up and play and and – that's why you bring these guys in. This isn't Kentucky where you bring in eight freshmen all to compete for starters minutes. You bring guys in to bring them along and, and hopefully they can contribute. So um, hopefully these guys are coming along fast and can be ready to step in and make an impact early. And uh, it'd be great to see him get on the floor early in the season. Well, and not just for this year, but possibly for the future too. I mean, obviously Indiana is trying to recruit a point guard, but you know, as you know, Tremont Waters, who was on campus for a visit, you know, now you're starting to hear that the momentum is picking up for Kentucky with that recruitment. Hopefully he still ends up coming to Indiana. We will see. Uh, but if he doesn't end up coming, you know, I'm not really sure where Indiana turns next in terms of recruiting a point guard. Uh, and so if Devonte Green can kind of be that guy that develops into that, that could be really big for Indiana. Uh, but let's talk not about potential recruits. Let's talk about a commitment that Indiana got uh, the first, well, really the second domino to fall in 2007, the 2017 class, because Al Durham, uh, a combo guard uh, from uh, Georgia, has already committed. Uh, but this is the first four-star, kind of bigger domino to fall, and it'll be interesting to see if it is followed by a Chris Wilkes or a Tremont Waters or any of these other you know, top 50, top 40 type players. Wilkes, obviously a five-star guy. Uh, we'll see if it starts anything, but whether it does or whether it doesn't, Justin Smith is a really good recruit that uh, I think, Ryan, you'll agree with this, that Indiana fans should be really excited about. And, you know, after watching some tape of him and talking to other people, I have an interesting comparison that I want to make. Uh, but, Ryan, I'd love to hear your scouting report first. And uh, just, you know, what what is Indiana getting uh, in four-star Justin Smith? Uh, you know, honestly, just I, I read about Justin Smith before I dug into the tape and, and from reading about him, I was expecting to, to be impressed on tape. I was far more impressed than I was expecting to be though. I think, I think that he's a top 50 guy. Uh, you know, he's ranked, I think 24 seven has him in the, in the mid seventies, maybe 78, if I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, somewhere in there. Um, but I, I think this is a top 50 player in the country. He, uh, at six, seven two ten, he's got, he's really long, uh, and actually has pretty good size for his age at 210. I mean, a lot of these guys who who are six seven ish at that 17, 18 year old threshold are, are usually in the 190s, you know, and and really stringy. He's actually, I mean, he needs to put on weight and he needs to to gain strength, but he's actually already pretty big. Uh, he's just a long, athletic guy with a lot of polish. This isn't a raw guy coming in. You know, this isn't Honor Perea or you know, a Troy Williams where they're just super athletic and and that's really all they've got. He's a guy who has some polish. He's a, he has a, 
you know, a decent ball handler at this point. Obviously, he's going to play on the wing in college, I think. Uh, so he's going to need to develop that. Uh, needs to add strength, as I said. He's a willing defender already, which is a positive. You see in his highlights. I mean, I know this is just pulled out for for highlight purposes, but his weak side blocks are awesome. They're just so much fun to watch. He just comes out of nowhere with that insane length and athleticism. Um, he's also got a really smooth jumper. I was surprised to see that uh, just based on what I'd read. He's got a very smooth jumper and release, which I've said on this program many times. The, the release and the rotation of the shot are the most important aspects. The rest you can work with, with whether it's how your shoulders are positioned, where you hold the ball, all that stuff. If you can release it and get good rotation in your shot, it can be fixed. And um, – I think his feet are a little too, too close together on his jumper, which sometimes leads it to come to to uh, come in short. But for the most part, this is a guy who knows how to shoot the basketball, knows how to play basketball. Um, he's a, as I said, good weak side defender. He's got to be more aggressive on on the boards. I think that because he's so athletic and long, he has it kind of easy in high school because he's just so much better than everybody else that he's just grabbing easy rebounds. He's got to be more aggressive. Uh, he's he finishes around the rim with great dunks, and he's really strong when he's dunking. I would like to see him get stronger when he can't dunk the basketball because in the Big Ten, it's going to be a lot harder to just get to the rim, slam the ball home. He's got to be able to finish off the backboard. You think of James Blackman Jr. when he came in as a freshman. He was used to just getting an easy path to the basket, easy layup. He had a lot of his shots blocked was not going up strong. And I think this is the same type of situation where Smith is so athletic and so quick that when he's getting to the hoop, he's usually by everybody and it's an easy lay-in. He's got to get stronger, got to finish with more authority there. Um, his AAU coach, Mike Irvin uh, of Mac Irvin Fire, has coached over 200 Division One players and a bunch of NBA guys. He has said that Smith has improved more than any other player he's coached in the last two years. So I think that this is a guy, again, who Indiana's getting at a time when they are ascending and getting a lot better, like we saw with OG Ananobi, like you saw with Victor Oladipo, like you saw with Will Sheehy. Uh, I think Jawan Morgan was a four-star, but a lot of people kind of overlooked him because of his size. That was a guy who was getting a lot better. So this is another one of those guys who Crean and his staff have found who is getting a lot, a lot, a lot better. And I would not be surprised if by the end of the year, Justin Smith is ranked higher than he is now because this is a guy who just has an unlimited potential uh, has the body of an NBA player, Is already has the body of a college player. As I said, for the Big Ten, need to add some strength, need to add some size, but he, he's clearly on the way there. And this is a guy who's not going to be a one-and-done. This is a guy who's going to continue to develop and be at Indiana and contribute for a while. So uh, I think it's a great pickup. I think that uh, also going into Illinois and snagging a recruit is, is never a bad thing. Uh, this is a guy who was looked to be a lock to Illinois for a long time. Indiana was able to turn the tide, as you said, beat out Villanova, the national champions for him. So this is a guy who was sought after, and Indiana went out, found the guy they wanted. He's another explosive wing player who's going to do great things in Indiana. And uh, I don't remember where I was reading this. It was either in Zach Osterman's piece on uh, at IndyStar.com or at Inside the Hall, uh, or maybe both. Uh, but his coach was talking about how, I think it was in the semi-state or the championship game last year, they, they basically the team they were playing played a triangle in two and just really made it hard on him uh, offensively and he only scored four points but what the coach said was so impressive is he just he made the decision to really turn it up on defense and they end up winning the game by 15 
And so that's the kind of guy, the kind of player he is. He's a winner, not necessarily just worried about his numbers, but doing whatever it takes and not a guy yeah. who, if he's having a bad offensive night, it's going to impact his defense. And you got to love seeing a kid with an attitude like that. Right. And, and I was going to say, and I didn't have this in my notes, but it's something I noticed on the, uh, on the tape. And I watched probably about an hour of tape on him and, and he, also is a willing passer. He's willing to spread the ball around. He's got pretty solid vision for a guy who is his size and is probably a primary scorer, you know, and he's probably been a primary scorer his whole life. He's willing to move the ball around. He's willing to find the open guy and willing to give up the shot if it's not there. So he's not just a guy who's forcing everything. And, and I think that's great too. You see a guy who can play within a team structure. If you haven't seen Justin play yet and you kind of want to visualize him, I thought Brian Snow over at Peaks had a good description. He basically said, I think it was Brian Snow, is either him or Evan Daniels, uh, basically said, you know, in terms of athleticism, he's he's not quite Troy athletically. He's maybe a step below Troy athletically, but you know, his shot is so much nicer and smoother than Troy's, especially if you think back to Troy when he was a freshman uh, and, and, you know, how ugly his shot was then. And to Troy's credit, his shot got a lot better by the time he left. But I'll tell you, as I watched Justin, and look, he's not this good of a player, so I'm issuing this with that caveat right off the bat, but just watching him shoot and kind of some of the smoothness that he has about him, it reminded me a little bit of Carmelo Anthony. Again, not that good of a player, uh, obviously, or that level of score, but if you ju just in terms of his release, really the, the release on his shot, and so when Ryan talks about the release, the rotation, that stuff, you know, obviously, if if, if you're watching a guy shooting, he reminds you of Carmelo Anthony. That's a pretty good guy uh, to to have modeled your shot after. To be um, fair to Justin, he actually plays defense, so I wouldn't go with that comparison. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but also uh, another thing about him is just. He, as you, as I said, uh, I agree. He's not athletically. He's not Honor or or Troy Williams in that just unbelievable athleticism level. He's a very athletic guy. But the thing is, is he's got polish and he and he and he knows how to play the game. And he just, as you said, he's smooth. He's a basketball player. He's not just an athlete. And I feel like when Troy got on campus, he was more of an athlete than a basketball player. And, and that's yeah. been true of other Indiana guys. And I just feel like this is a guy who has a level of polish and, and not the rough edges that sometimes you're used to with a six, seven guy who's super athletic. A lot of times they just go out there and be athletic. They don't learn to play basketball. And it takes college to do that. He's already on the path of learning how to play basketball and being a basketball player. Yeah. So all in all, great commitment, Andy. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, just a, yeah, just a couple quick things. I, you know, in reading through some of the things, I think a couple things stuck out to me. One was, um, I think Ryan alluded to this based on how well that AAU program had produced, um, you know, good uh, good prospects. But I think it even you know comes from a strong high school program. Feels like he's gotten really good coaching, and I think that speaks to a lot of the things that Ryan mentioned about some of the polish and. Um, and those kinds of things. And I think if you, you know, obviously everybody loves to throw out the Oladipo, you know, comparison. Now it's like a, a cottage industry at this point, but we're actually um, contractually obligated every year to compare someone to Victor Oladipo. It's how you get sweet. a media pass. I like it. I like it. Um, so, but you know, that was one of the things like coming out of DeMatha for him, like came out of a really strong program. You knew that he had good, you know, kind of fundamental understanding of all the things that you want to go and, and seems to have, uh, you know, a really good, you know, foundation in that respect. And then there was a, it kind of a brief interview slash highlight thing that I, I retweeted earlier today. And, and in it, he talked a little bit about um, Jalen Brunson 
Um, he had played with him uh, in high school and, and just kind of talked about when he left to go to Villanova, you know, what that meant in terms of, you know, what he had to do and become more vocal and things like that. So he seemed very, you know, you know self-aware of, of ways that he needed to make himself better uh, and just seemed to have a, a good head on his shoulder. So I think that was uh, a positive thing. And we'll see what happens from here on the recruiting side. I mean, I think the only other comment that I would make is more of an overarching one uh, on recruiting as, you know, every guy who commits or doesn't commit now is like a moratorium on the class as a whole. And, and I think, you know, anymore, the, the top, top guys don't commit very early. Um, we may not see a lot of those guys commit till the spring. And so while people can have, you know, concerns about the level of guys that they're getting and everybody wants to, you know, kind of throw out different things, I, I think it's a, you know, you kind of got to wait and see what the class looks like as a whole, how it complements each other, how it complements what's going to be left on the roster. So I guess I view this as a, you know, I've seen some questions about him. I think I think some of the questions about Durham, quite honestly, are probably more well-founded um, based on some of the things that I've you know read about him uh, and, and whether you know that one makes sense. But this one, to me, seems like a good fit. He's got a good skill set that's going to fit well with some of the things that Kareem has done with other uh, guys of that size. And so I think it, it made a lot of sense and uh, it is a good signing. And, and we'll see, as you said, hopefully that's a, you know, the first domino to fall from a recruiting standpoint, and we'll go from there. Hey, and frankly, if, if the shot doctor Tim Buckley can work his magic with Al Durham, that could be another diamond in the rough, too. He's just got to become a better shooter. Yeah, one one quick thing on, uh, on on recruiting that I think that Indiana fans, I mean, somebody, uh, a recruiting expert once told me this, and it's true of every team in the nation, basketball, you know, football, I don't care if it's your lacrosse team, whatever. He, he said about recruiting, it's never as good as it seems, and it's never as bad as it seems. And, and so, it, you know, people li- love to panic or love to just say, oh, God, this is amazing. It's rarely unless you're, you know, Kentucky getting one and dones, you know, since they're going to get like nine every year. It, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Let the process play out. And remember that a program like Indiana, while it's great to get a five star, uber talented first round, you know, top 10 NBA draft pick. This staff prefers to build a team than to build they're collecting players. They're not collecting talent. And, and so remember, these guys all have to fit in. They have to fit into the system. They have to be seen. Obviously, IU wants to get Chris Wilkes. IU wants to get these other five-star big-name guys. It's great for the program to do that. But at the same time, after that, they have a plan for how these guys fit in, where they fit in, and 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 what they can bring to the table. And so you're not just – you know, most years you're not just throwing scholarships at people. You, you have a plan on what you're doing. Uh, so you may not agree with that plan. I may not agree with that plan, but they, they seem to have an idea of what they're doing and they're trying to place things in a specific way for the future of the team. Well, and if IU fans just don't have a short memory, I mean, if you look at Tom Crean's recruiting classes, his two most hype recruiting classes, the movement and then the Noah Vonley class, those turned out to be two of the worst classes where a lot of those guys didn't pan out, even though they were rated highly. And then you had these classes that made IU fans go, what the heck? And those turned out to be the Sheila Depot class with Will Sheehy and Victor Oladipo. And then last year's class, which for a long time, it was just Juwan Morgan kind of sitting there by himself. And then Thomas Bryant committed late. And then this guy, OG Ananobi, that no one knew except for Ryan, apparently, uh, decides to commit. And, uh, you know, and that turned out to be pretty good. So we just don't know. uh, You know, the key is, do you have faith in your staff and what they're doing? And I think... It, the Indiana staff has done a good enough job that we should have faith in them. Uh, and the Justin Smith uh, commitment is uh, just more evidence of that. And and one last thing before we move on, I, I just got to say recruiting is super important, but player development is even more important. So let's remember you get the players. That's great. 
But it's also about developing the players, and, and this staff has proven that it's very good at that. So Absolutely. All right. So in our final 20 minutes here, we are going to continue our series going through every jersey number and voting on the greatest Hoosier to wear that jersey number. Before we do that, I want to if issue a quick reminder. Make sure that you go to assemblycall.com slash join if you haven't already. Activate your free membership to the Assembly Call. Not only do you get our six-banner Saturday post and our post-game recap emails once the season starts again, but you can participate in our live chat. You can participate in our members-only forum, and you get all the other premium content that only goes to our members. Go to assemblycall.com slash join. All right, so for a few of these, there really aren't that many people that wore some of these numbers, uh, like six and seven and some of these. So we should be able to go through some of these pretty quickly. We will start with number six, where there are two options for number six, Lou Watson and James Strickland. And really, this one is pretty easy. You know, James Strickland is a guy played from 1927 to 1930, averaged about six points a game. Lou Watson is a top 50 Hoosier of all time. He finished 42nd on our list of the 50 greatest Hoosiers. He was an all Big Ten player. He was team MVP twice. He is in the Indiana Hall of Fame. He, of course, uh, coached at Indiana, uh, was the coach before Bob Knight took over. Uh, so I think this one is pretty easy. Seems to me that the greatest Hoosier to wear number six is Lou Watson. Any arguments from either of you, Andy or Ryan? I do not have any arguments, although, and I don't remember whether we talked about this after the show was over last time or during. Um, so if it was during, just pretend I didn't say this. But Ryan had a good uh, bit of info on why there aren't a lot of guys who wore certain numbers. So I did want to give him credit for that, even if it's giving him credit a second time uh, on no, the actual we, we show. No, we talked for about it. that after. We talked about that after we went off the air. Uh, yeah. So you're only allowed to wear any more uh, numbers that end with zero through five. Uh, so. 10 to 15, like, so zero to five, 10 to 15, 20 to 25, and so on, because officials can't uh, use both hands to signal one number. So you can't do 26 or whatever in, in college. I don't know why. That's just the rule. So you have to be able on two hands at, at most to do the number. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of these guys, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, do not exist anymore in college basketball. You'll see them rarely in the NBA, but they have to get a special special dispensation from the league to wear them. Uh, so, or they used to at least. I don't know if it's just regular anymore. Uh, so yeah, that's why there's there haven't been some of these numbers used in a long time. But I think yeah, obviously Lou Watson uh, is essentially running unopposed here. I think so. Well, uh, now maybe it, not. We do have some breaking news. So Chris in our chat, the guy behind IU artifacts, who writes that weekly column for us informs me that James Stricken was actually an all American. Uh, I did not realize this. I looked at the 5.8 points and didn't, didn't think all American uh, well, Bird says in our chat, 5.8 points in 1928 is like 30 points. Today. Yeah, it, it is. No, I actually saw that and was like, Hey, that's actually not bad. Uh, but no, Lou Watson was the team MVP twice, Indiana Hall of Fame, all Big Ten. I mean, I think that I think that he gets the win. Plus, you know, contribution to the program. He did coach. I, I think that uh, he gets he, he, sometimes you have to consider that along with. The, but he didn't coach when he was wearing the number six. I, I agree. I know. But I think that if there's ever a tiebreaker, you got to consider contribution to the program as well. You know, and, and I don't think this is a tiebreaker. Anyway. I think Lou Watson was the better player. Um, well, did at the same watch, time, did you watch film on those two guys? Did you? I didn't. I just I read about Lou, and, I, and I, I I read a little bit about James Strickland. I did not know that he was uh, an All American, but uh, not a Lou first Watson, team All American, but an All American. Chris, I, I think Lou Watson is is the guy here. Andy, uh, who are you voting for, Lou or Jim? Yeah, I think Lou Watson. They they're both 
all Americans in the stuff that I took down. So, although I will say having Chris in the chat is like having the fact checkers during the debate the other night. So, <laughs> yeah, when we get into some oh, of these, especially with, it makes me especially nervous, with, man. Especially, like, yeah, especially with these numbers, because almost everybody who wore like most of the numbers we're going to talk about next is uh, is well well out of the era that any of us have uh, are yes. intimately familiar with. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to more interjections from him to keep us honest here. So, okay, we appreciate Chris, it, Chris. By the way, he he issues his vote for Lou Watson. So, Lou Watson, the greatest Hoosier to wear the number six. All righty, moving on to number seven. Now, there is not going to be a debate here, okay? So a couple guys have worn number seven. Don Ritter is one, a good player uh, in the 40s. He played from 46 to 49, averaged 9.2 points per game. Obviously, a good number uh, for that era, but clearly the greatest Hoosier to wear the number seven because he's one of the greatest Hoosiers of all time is Branch McCracken. Uh, obviously, you know about Branch's contributions as a coach. The court is named after him. He won two national championships, several Big Ten titles. Many people don't realize how great of a player he was before he became a coach. As a player, he finished 11th on our list of the 50 greatest Hoosiers. He was a first-team All-American, an All-Big Ten selection, obviously a team MVP. He's in the Indiana Hall of Fame. He won a Big Ten title as a player uh, playing for Everett Dean. And what what really stands out about Branch is his contribution to the game because he was one of the first college centers who actually played in the post the way it's played today. You know, back to the basket guy, you'd throw the ball into him playing on the block. There wasn't a lot of that before Branch, but he was a big burly guy, especially in comparison. I mean, not in comparison to a guy like Don Schlunt, but in comparison to some of the other players of that era. Uh, and he scored 32.3% of the points that his three Hoosier teams scored, which is crazy, graduated as the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer. Uh, this one's pretty clear. Uh, any thoughts on Branch McCracken? Possibly any arguments against him as the greatest number seven ever? No, no argument against him. I think you said it well when, you know, I, a lot of people think of him from a coaching standpoint, but um, as you look at some of his exploits as a player, he was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame as a, as a player, and I believe I just read was the first uh, Indiana player to uh, to have that honor, so pretty tough to uh, pretty tough to beat that. Again, we're we're not going to count the coaching since he wasn't wearing the the uniform as he was coaching. But I think uh, e even without that, I think he's the clear choice here. Yeah, it amazes me how many kids at IU, you know, students at IU when I was there, didn't know that he was a player. They just knew him from being a coach and winning two national championships. And and you would walk by that hallway with all the all Americans, and they'd be like, Branch McCracken played, you know, like I, it's. I mean, it was so long. It was 1928 to 1930 that it makes sense that people wouldn't know and they'd know him, you know, as the coach. And and uh, but he was he was a great player, one of the best at his of his era. And again, the contribution to the game long term with with uh, being a center, the way he played it uh, was uh, a big, big deal because centers really didn't develop like that until about the middle of the, of the 20th century. Uh, he's, George Mikan was really one of the first guys who took that to the NBA and dominated that way. Um, so really it was, everybody was kind of a standing shooter back in those days. And, and you weren't just a guy who stood on the post and got the ball and laid it in. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I think that this is very clear and, uh, let's give branches due. All right, Branch McCracken, the greatest Hoosier ever to wear the number seven. Moving along now to number eight, uh, we have two legendary Hoosiers. First, we'll talk about Marv Huffman, uh, who was a third-team All-American. He was a member of the national championship team in 1940. Uh, he was an All-Big Ten player, team MVP. He is in the Indiana Hall of Fame, averaged 4.5 points a game. Again, 
consider the context of the era he played. Uh, and typically, it would be easy to make a case for Marv Huffman as the greatest at his number, but he's got some pretty stiff competition at number eight because the great Bill Garrett was also number eight. Uh, Bill finished 24th on our list of the 50 greatest Hoosiers. He was a second-team All-American, an All-Big Ten player, a team MVP. He is in the Indiana Hall of Fame, uh, a guy who averaged 12 points a game, was a good rebounder, and, of course, Bill Garrett, the first black player in the Big Ten to start in the Big Ten. Uh, so not only was he a terrific player uh, in his own right without the cultural significance, but what he represented uh, at the time when he played uh, obviously makes his his career take on even more legendary, transcendent significance than it otherwise would. Uh, so for me, Bill Garrett is the guy at number eight, both for what he meant as a player uh, and also what he represented. Uh, Andy, uh, your thoughts on Bill Garrett or Marv Huffman? Yeah, the notes I have on Huffman and the site that I used to, to get some of the numbers from, I think he may have only worn number eight one year. Uh, I'm sure Chris will hop in if that is not the case, but I believe he only wore that his first year, at least according to the uh, the site that I used to get some of the information. So regardless of that, um, yeah, I think Garrett is the, the choice there for uh, certainly on-court performance, double-digit scorer uh, each of his three years at IU, but also, uh, you know, kind of the social and the, the beyond-the-court uh, aspect of things and uh, you know also a good way to, to rope Chris back into this as well uh, for those who haven't uh, watched the video of our chat with him probably about a month ago now uh, had a really cool piece of memorabilia an autographed picture uh, from uh, from Bill Garrett that was uh, pretty cool to break out and, and look at so I will uh, I will definitely go with Garrett for that one um, but uh, the, these last few have been pretty easy so no no real debate yet. We'll see if we get into any as we move forward today. But this one was easy for me as well. Yeah, I, is that Bill was a first-team All-American, not a second-team All-American. Uh, I think it's it's also important to uh, – well, it, you know, with those things, I, I think it depends on, you know, who was handing out the All-American. You know, some of yeah, them were, were different than others. Uh, but get conflicting information there. Uh, something with Marv I think is, is worth mentioning – is that uh, not only was he a first-team All-American, he was also only the second guy to ever be named NCAA Tournament um, Most Outstanding Player in 1940. Uh, Marv was a an Indiana boy, as was Bill Garrett. He was uh, Newcastle, uh, a Newcastle High School alum. Um, I agree with you. I think the answer is Bill Garrett. I just think we need to give a little bit of give a little bit of a hat tip to Marv. Uh, Bill Garrett it was an Indiana guy, also Shelbyville High School. Uh, uh, won the Indiana State Championship in 1947 there and was uh, Indiana Mr. Basketball. Uh, again, first African-American to play at IU um, and to regularly start on a Big Ten team. I think that's that's a huge deal. Uh, but, yeah, given that, he was just a great player on the floor as well. It wasn't – it wasn't you know, this isn't just about the impact off the floor. He was a great player on the floor. Uh, All-American, Indiana Hall of Fame, MVP, as Jared said. Uh, so I think that you got to go with Bill Garrett, but Marv Huffman uh, is a guy who may not get mentioned as much and was certainly made a big impact on Indiana basketball as well. Yeah, and Marv Huffman hung a banner, and we know how important that is uh, in, in IU basketball history. All right, but I think we all agree, Bill Garrett, the greatest Hoosier uh, ever to wear the number eight. Moving on now to the number nine, uh, we have a few entrants here. We've got Bill Toshif or Toshif, not exactly sure how to pronounce his name, but he played in the late 40s, early 50s, averaged 8.4 points per game, uh, shot 29.4% from the field. Bob Masters, uh, their careers actually overlapped. Uh, Bob averaged 6.4 points per game, 
And then you have Joe Zeller, and I appreciate Chris uh, for adding this uh, to our sheet before we went live. Joe Zeller was actually the only IU athlete to win the Balfour Award in both sports he played in. He won it in both football and basketball in the 1931-32 season, was a three-year letter winner in both sports. Uh, and by the way, when he won the Balfour Award in both football and basketball, he was also senior class president that year. So that was a busy year. Uh, for he really had ball. nothing going on is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I guess if you're just if your name Zeller, you're just going to be an overachiever. Like, I guess there's just no way for you not to be. Uh, he was all he was all Big Ten in football and ended up playing uh, in the NFL for both the Packers and the Bears. So we've got that for Joe Zeller. Uh, so my vote goes to Joe Zeller for that incredible 1931-32 season that he had. Andy, what say you? Yeah, I was uh, it, it was funny because I think Toshif, again, kind of going back to this, because the, his career and Bob Masters overlapped, I believe he only wore the number nine his his freshman season. Um, so I, I'll kind of remove him from that, I guess, if assuming that's correct. I'll, I'll go with Zeller as well. Um, he wore the number nine his last two seasons there. And it's it's funny. It makes me think a little bit of uh, I was at IU doing some recruiting a couple weeks ago for my uh, for my regular non-bracketology related um, endeavors. And uh, was struck by like how many different things the kids now are involved in and found myself going like, man, I was really not doing hardly anything at this point of like <laughs> sophomores, like, oh, I'm looking to get an internship for whatever. I was like, I was, that was not on my radar at that point. So similarly, I think all the accomplishments of, uh, of Joe Zeller during his, his time at IU and particularly his senior year probably weren't some, uh, weren't some, some consideration from us so i guess i'll go with him uh slightly over bob masters but this is definitely an area where i don't feel like i have a uh, a terribly informed opinion but ryan watched tape on all three of these guys so he'll, oh, i know he'll yeah, I, 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 let I, him answer first and see if he could sway me i might I dug deep. Uh, on this one. no tell chef i think it's important to, to I, I i did look this up because i take this job seriously uh he played at indiana uh, from 47 to 51, he, but that was after being in the army uh, during World War II. So, you know, he was an older guy and he also was some sources list him as the NBA uh, co-rookie of the year in 1952. So I, I, a couple of these things, I may not disagree, but I just kind of think that throwing some good facts in there is a good idea. Uh, like Bob Masters, I think makes this a lot closer um, than we may think. He was a three-year starter at IU um, he was an All-American in 1952, two-time All-Big Ten, um, second and third places finishes in the conference. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's uh, he was a great player. I think that um, he, he went to Lafayette Jefferson High School, four sport, uh, a four-sport athlete there, uh, so definitely an Indiana guy. I think you got to give it to Joe Zeller just because of his achievements uh, in that one uh, year, I think really – sort of surpasses everything else. But uh, Masters is certainly uh, a guy who achieved a lot at Indiana as well. Okay. But I think we're all in agreement. Joe Zeller, the greatest Hoosier ever to wear the number nine, but closer maybe than we initially anticipated. All righty. Moving on now to the number 10. Uh, and we've got several people who wore the number 10. Uh, Roderick Wilmot wore the number 10. He certainly had one legendary or a few legendary three-point shooting uh, performances, uh, but that does not... Also had a lot of legendary parties when I was at IU. <laughs> yes, that too. Uh, Evan Gordon, uh, who we were talking about before the show, Ryan. Uh, Antoine Randall L., a legendary Hoosier, but more for what he did on the football field and the basketball court. Uh, Ryan Burton and currently Johnny Yeager will be wearing the number 10. 
But the two guys who are up for this, we have John Wallace, uh, a top 50 Hoosier. He was a third-team All-American in 1946. As a sophomore, he averaged 14.4 points per game. And what's interesting about his career is his numbers dropped off dramatically after that. He averaged 7.6 points the next year, and then only two after that. I believe he went to the military uh, after that as well. Um, Chris can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But he was an All-Big Ten player, a team MVP. Uh, so John Wallace, a terrific player, certainly for that one season. And he goes up against freshman and sophomore year Will Sheehy. That is when he wore the number 10, uh, much to Ryan's chagrin. He is entered here in the discussion. But, you know, you think about what Will did his freshman, sophomore year, and a lot of his memorable moments and performances came though, that as a freshman and sophomore. Uh, he made the game-winning shot against VCU that propelled Indiana to the Sweet 16. He made two huge threes against Kentucky in that epic win uh, over Kentucky. He had, of course, that amazing dunk against Iowa that we all remember. Uh, and most importantly, he was part of the Sheila Depot crew that really brought the swagger back to Indiana basketball. Because I think you look at the recruiting class that came before them with Hulls and Watford and Maurice Creek, of course, they brought the competency back to Indiana basketball, gave Indiana the talent to compete again. But it was really Victor and Will that brought the swagger back and the attitude back. Uh, and, and I think for what they represented, uh, really important. So for me, I, you know, I have to go with John Wallace here. I think his one season, certainly as a third-team All-American, was better than anything Will did as a freshman or a sophomore. Uh, but I certainly wanted to hearken back to the impact Will Sheehy made as a freshman and a sophomore because we haven't talked about the impact Victor Oladipo had, but Will was right there with him providing swagger for a program that really needed it at the time. Uh, Andy, your thoughts on the number 10? Yeah, I I picked Sheehy for uh, zero last when we did this last time. So I'm gonna, uh, but when you look at the what he did in his uh, as number ten, I think it, Wallace is probably the choice. Um, Wilmot, I did always enjoy watching play. He was he was a chucker certainly at times, although he reined that in slightly as he got uh, as he got older in his career at IU and shot almost forty percent from three as a senior. So he was a guy who who did evolve uh, a bit as as time went on, almost six rebounds a game uh, in his senior season. But I think the the Wallace, uh, based on the one year averaging you know over fourteen points a game in uh, in the mid nineteen forties, is a is a pretty strong accomplishment. Uh, finishing as an All American, as you mentioned, uh, I will go with him in this discussion. And Ryan, we know you're voting for Will Sheehy, so we'll just move along. Well, I, I think freshman and sophomore Will Sheehy took about 12 years off my life, so I, I can't—I simply can't pick him for the sake of my potential future never coming children. Um, what what actually surprised me about this was uh, how few sort of transcendent players were wore number 10 for Indiana. I mean, that's a pretty common number, and. You're not seeing a lot of, uh, you know, all-time greats wearing that number. That that's interesting because I, I bet if you went around college basketball, you'd find a lot of guys who wore number ten and been, you know, All-Americans or, uh, or you know, NBA draft picks or whatever. Because just because it's a common number that guys use and in Indiana, I think that's part of what's interesting about this exercise is that you find out, you know, who's worn what in Indiana and and how many people. But uh, I think you have to go with Wallace. He's you know All-American. Uh, Big Ten MVP or uh, All Big Ten and Team MVP. I think that that sort of jumps ahead, jumps to the head of the line uh, for everyone. So individual impact, got to go with Wallace. 
By the way, if you're wondering why we didn't list Ralph Hamilton there, he wore like six different numbers while he was at IU, but we've chosen to list him for the number 17 because it seems like his best seasons came when he was wearing number 17. So we will discuss him a little bit later. We have two more numbers to go. And my goodness, do we have some legendary Hoosiers among these two numbers? We will go now to the number 11. Uh, and, you know, I know that for some of our older listeners, this is going to seem like a slam dunk. Why is there even a debate here? But we need to discuss this because uh, I think for a lot of our younger listeners, they may not realize just how great the original number 11 was at Indiana. And I'm talking, of course, of Dane Fife, who was part of that epic 2002 team that went to the national championship game uh, almost in spite of Dane and his really poorly timed foul in the Sweet 16 game. <laughs> Once bit a guy during a game. I mean, you really can't, really can't understand that either. Bull, when he, when they called him a bulldog, they actually meant. I think they thought he was part bulldog. <laughs> yeah. So, so Dane Five certainly there uh, at number eleven. Dan Dockich famously wore the number eleven. Certainly has a legendary defensive performance. Uh, Todd Jadlow was number eleven. Daniel Moore. Malcolm Sims, uh, who all fans of the 92-93 Hoosiers team uh, will remember fondly, although we never really got to see him play. And then Eric Sewer wore the number 11. But clearly... One of my better, one of my better columns in college was about Eric Sewer. Was it? Like five foot five and being the, you know, having the biggest heart. I loved watching that kid play. Yeah, no, he was great. Uh, and that does a really good job calling the games as well. But clearly, uh, the debate here at number 11 is between two of the greatest, probably the two greatest point guards in IU history. Uh, we'll begin with Isaiah Thomas, number six on our list of the 50 greatest Hoosiers. And certainly, he's a guy, if he had stayed more than two years, you would assume that he's probably number one on that list. But, you know, you could say that for a lot of guys who left early. But what Isaiah did in his two years, I mean, I don't think you can have a more impactful two years as a Hoosier, he was a first-team All-American, two-time first-team All-Big Ten player. He's a Hall of Famer, of course. He led Indiana to the national championship in 1981, a season where the Hoosiers didn't start out great, but turned it on and then just absolutely obliterated the field in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they made the Sweet 16 uh, as a when when Isaiah was a freshman, but they won the Big Ten that season. In just two years, he's 50th all-time in points scored. 13th all-time in career assists. Uh, and, of course, he gets all kinds of bonus points for being in the Basketball Hall of Fame, being the best player on a national championship team. Uh, and, and he has the school records for assists per game and steals per game and is one of the best point guards in NBA history as well. Uh, but then you've got Yogi Ferrell, and this is where the debate gets interesting because you have to pick your criteria. Is it the best individual player or the guy who did the most in the uniform? Because when it comes to career accomplishments, not a lot of guys can stack up to Yogi. He's first all-time in assists, sixth all-time in scoring. He won two Big Ten titles, obviously made the NCAA tournament a few times and made it to the Sweet 16, but never passed that. And that obviously kind of limits uh, uh, how great his legacy can be. He's also second all-time in three-pointers made, and his 137 games played more than any other Hoosier. So he put on that number 11 jersey more than any other Hoosier put a jersey on. And part of that, of course, is just because schedules expanded, but still, it is something. Uh, you know, look, this this to me is it's it's a hard one because of that. You know, Yogi gave Indiana basketball four years. Isaiah gave us two. But for me, winning a national championship, winning two Big Ten titles, and just the absolute just shooting star that that Isaiah was uh, in IU basketball history. I have to go with him. Uh, that to, that's to take nothing away from Yogi's terrific legacy. But when you hang a banner, when you lead Indiana basketball to a banner and lead the lasting legacy in only two years that Isaiah did, 
Uh, to me, there aren't many Hoosiers in history that could overtake him. Uh, and Yogi, as great as he was, doesn't quite rise to that level for me. Uh, Andy, who you got at number 11? Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would echo what you said. I mean, when you look at some of these numbers for Isaiah, he shot over 50% from the floor in both of his years. Shot almost shot over 55% from the floor uh, during his sophomore year and scored 545 points, which is quite a lot for a season uh, in which there were no three pointers. Uh, so I think that's you know definitely something to be said for that. When you start to look at you know some of the other statistics, uh, you know to your point, average five and a half assists a game. His freshman year, five point eight. His sophomore year, average over two steals a game both years. Um, you know, and and certainly, you know, the NBA career we can't really count here, but I think that helps you figure out you know just how good he really he really was uh, in a college uniform. And and Yogi, to your point. Um, had some really impressive numbers as well, scored over 16 points a game each of his last three seasons, um, you know, shot over 40, 40% or better from three each of those last three seasons, shot over 80% from the line each of those seasons, um, and, and did those things. But uh, I think the national championship and the, and the tournament success uh, certainly give uh, Isaiah a boost there and just kind of the, the transcendent talent that he was uh, both during his time at IU and once he left uh, gives him the nod. But I think as you really start to dig into it, uh, what, you know, at some point probably felt like a, a slam dunk uh, of being Isaiah, I think speaks to, you know, just how much, uh, you know, Yogi improved and accomplished during his time at IU as well. The fact that it was, uh, it, it's as close of a debate as it really ended up being. Yeah, I, you know, I know Doc is probably, Doc Libby is probably listening. And, uh, but I, I, what Yogi did uh, during his time at Indiana was special. And especially his senior year was that was just a special run, and and he's a special player. Uh, but Isaiah Thomas is one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. And if you think looking at his averages and extrapolating out it, he stayed for four years. First of all, Indiana probably wins a national another national title, uh, and and he becomes one of the greatest you know college players of all time statistically, not just in a you know reference to. Um, you know, how he performed while he was there. Uh, so I think you have to go with Isaiah Thomas. Another thing I looked at is, look, taking all the emotion out of it, and we all have an emotional attachment, I think, to Yogi because we've been doing this during Yogi's time uh, at IU and and certainly have watched him grow into not only a better player but a better person and, and, a, and a, you know, and a great ambassador for IU. So that that really pull, tugs on you. You want to, like, you know, honor him. Uh, but if you look at it, and, and they were going to – if they were going to retire the number 11 at Indiana, it would have to be for Isaiah. Now, any other – if Yogi were number 13 or something or, or 21 or whatever, they'd retire that for him. Indiana doesn't retire jerseys. But, but I just think that Isaiah is who you think of when you think of number 11 at Indiana. Now, Yogi challenged that, and he certainly made his case for it which is more than anybody has ever done with that number since Isaiah left, uh, left campus. So I think that you have to give the nod to Yogi to say, Hey kid, you did a great job living up to, to the, to the, the standard that was set, but the original guy won a national title, did all those things you guys said, uh, and was one of the greatest Hoosiers of all time. So I think you got to give it to Isaiah. Um, but Yogi made it a lot closer than it should have been. He did. All righty, but Isaiah Thomas, the greatest Hoosier ever to wear the number 11. And finally, for this episode, we go to the number 12, and with this one, there really is no debate. Uh, other guys who have worn the number 12, we've got Phil Buck, Robert Foster, Luke Jimenez, Hunter Mascara-Perea, 
Donald Perry, uh, Bill Toshif wore the number 12 for a little while. Uh, and of course, Verdell Jones, uh, who, who uh, came here uh, early in the Tom Crean tenure and really, you know, placed there was a, a huge scoring and ball handling burden placed upon Verdell probably well before he was ready. Uh, uh, you know, it, it just in, there was just such a dearth of talent in Bloomington. Verdell had to be that guy. And it was a little bit unfair because I thought Verdell really developed into a nice player, but he really took the brunt of some criticism from IU fans that were just frustrated with the general product on the court and still frustrated from the end of the Samson era. And, and it always felt a little bit unfair, kind of the expectations that were heaped on Verdell. I think all things considered and the burden that was placed upon him, I thought he had a really good career. And now you look at what he's doing. Uh, you know, playing professionally overseas, playing in the developmental league last year. Uh, really, I think having a better professional basketball career probably than people uh, expected. Uh, and so we do want to want to issue that hat tip to Verdell Jones. Uh, but clearly the greatest number 12 in IU basketball history is Steve Alford because he is one of the greatest IU basketball players of all time. A two-time first-team All-American, a Big Ten MVP. He was first-team All-Big Ten three times, a four-time team MVP, one of only a few guys who were four-time team MVPs. Uh, I think A.J. Guyton and Calvert Chaney, the only other two players to be four-time team MVPs. He's an Indiana Hall of Famer. He's a national champion. Uh, he made it uh, to the Elite Eight as well in 1984, won a Big Ten championship, second all-time in points, 11th all-time in assists, uh, ninth all-time also in points per game, uh, and just, I mean, look, when you think of kind of, you know, the quintessential Indiana basketball player, Steve Alford is the guy that comes to mind. One of the best at moving without the ball, one of the quickest releases. And just imagine what he could have done if he had had the three point shot for his entire career. He only had it for his senior season and certainly made the best of it. I think he made 200 three pointers that year, which was absurd uh, and was terrific in the national championship game, made seven three pointers uh, in the national championship game. Uh, and obviously Keith Smart made the shot, but Indiana's not even in that position if Steve doesn't make seven three pointers. Uh, just, I mean, look, he, you know, obviously he's over at UCLA now and we wish him nothing but the worst in his recruitment of Chris Wilkes. Uh, <laughs> but for this discussion, uh, certainly we honor the great career of Steve Alford. Uh, Andy, your thoughts uh, on, uh, clearly there's no debate here, but we'll give you some time to uh, to celebrate the career of Steve Alford. Yeah, exactly. Well, just, you know, one thing to throw out about uh, one of the guys you mentioned, you know, Donald Perry uh, had, you know, like a really strong tournament performance in the Final Four against, uh, against Oklahoma when Coverdale was hurt. So, you know, credit to him. I think he may have, at other points during that season and maybe a few points during that game, uh, been the original damn it Donald. I think most people think of that as uh, Peyton Manning and Donald Brown. I feel like I remember my dad yelling damn it Donald at him a few times during that game. So uh, may have been the predecessor there. Verdell, as you mentioned, um, was kind of maligned by a lot of IU fans. When you look back at some of the numbers, there there's some, some good things there. I mean, his sophomore year, his free throw rate was over 50%. He shot 190 free throws and had 373 field goal attempts. So was really good at getting to the line, had almost 400 assists in his career. And, um, you know, until his senior season, it averaged in double figures every year. So, um, you know, a hat tip to him, as you mentioned. But Alford, some of these numbers, as I put this together, were uh, were were pretty crazy. I mean, as a freshman, he shot 59% from the field. Um, and and given his shot. And he was a jump yeah. shooter. Like, it wasn't I like know. he was laying the ball in. I know. It's insane. He, he shot 59% from there. He missed 13 free throws that year. He shot 91% from the line, um, you know, in that year and, and just was, you know, amazed by that. Again, a guy who the three-point shot wasn't around until his senior year, which he shot 53% from three in, um, but he shot, yeah, 59% that freshman year, 
54% uh, his sophomore year, 55.5% uh, as a junior when he scored 630 points in 28 games. So 22.5 points a game in an era with no uh, three-point line is pretty impressive, to say the least. And then, you know, uh, as I mentioned, his senior year, the national championship averaged 22 points a game again. Uh, his shooting did dip overall from the field, um, but, you know, 53% from three. Uh, during that that senior season and a guy who a lot of my earliest memories of of watching IU basketball with my parents uh and really starting to get into it he's a big part of a lot of those some of those you know late tip time uh games on on ESPN or you know the nine o'clock games where uh you know he'd be out making threes I think he made a, a shot to beat Michigan at the end uh, and, and an exciting moment there. Just just remembering a lot of those times. So it's one of those that even if he wasn't as good as he was statistically, kind of has a soft spot for me uh, as you start thinking about some of the guys that you love to watch and root for as you were growing up. So definitely no debate for that. But some of the numbers, like I said, I, when I saw that 59%, I had to look a couple times to make sure I didn't type something in wrong. But uh, yeah, that was legit for a guy of his size that was a jump shooter. Uh, 59% from the floor, not too shabby. Yeah, I, I, a lot of people... Uh, we're all about recency bias. So a lot of people talk about like JJ Redick as being the greatest shooter in college basketball history because he, you know, scored a lot of points at Duke and all that. Now, Steve Alford was by far the greatest shooter in college basketball history. And there is no debate about it. Uh, it, it think about this. I love Calvert Chaney. We all love Calvert Chaney around here. If Steve Alford had had the three point line, he'd be so far ahead in career points in the big 10. It would be silly. I mean, you know, it wouldn't even be close. And um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that that you have to go with Steve Alford. I think there's no question. Another thing people have to realize is that he did everything he did with Bobby Knight dogging him constantly for four years. He was the object of Knight's ire for four years. And, and the fact that every time that, uh, you know, as you, you've read in Season on the Brink, every time that uh, Alford would do something great. Knight would talk about how a high school or even middle school age Damon Bailey would have done it better. You know, <laughs> I mean, that, that happened. That's not made up. And, and, and my favorite line from that book is after the national championship, his senior year, he's in the locker room, everybody's celebrating, and then everybody leaves, and he's the last guy to leave the locker room. And it's he and Feinstein. And Bob Knight walks in, pats him on the shoulder, and tells him he did a great job, gives a really heartfelt speech, and walks away. And Alford turns to Feinstein and says, yeah, but Damon would have done it better. It's, <laughs> and that was honestly my favorite scene from that entire book, and it's so true. I mean, if people and, – and, and what that reflects is that when you are the hope of a, a university, a program, and a coach, and whatever, and you're going through such terrible times as 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 Alford did for a lot of his career. Those were not great IU teams for part of his career. When you're going through all that, and and you have to deal with all of the pressure that comes along with that, and and he did, and he succeeded at every level. I mean, every year, as Andy was listing off the statistics, he was fantastic every year. It wasn't just a one or two year thing. He was as good as it gets for four years. And and how whatever I think of him as a coach or, or whatever I think about him as he does now, that guy was an amazing basketball player and one of the greats in college basketball history for sure. And, of course, this number is his. There's no question. 
Yeah, no question about it. Steve Alford, the greatest number 12 in IU basketball history. And of course, we should mention real quick about Verdell Jones through one of the most famous passes in IU basketball history. You've got Daryl Thomas's pass to Keith Smart and and out to Watford for the win. So I do want to mention that for Verdell. All right, now a quick question for you guys to wrap this up because you know Steve Alford arriving at IU really kind of coincided with a golden era of shooting. Uh, and Indiana's always had great shooters, but you know Steve Alford leaves in '87. Jay Edwards comes uh, for two years. He leaves, and then Calvert Cheney comes. Three of the greatest shooters uh, in IU basketball history, both just from you know an eye test and a memory test, and in terms of percentage. So, Andy, your life depends on a one shot. Who's taking it? Alford, Jay Edwards, or Calvert Cheney? Oh boy, life depends on it. Uh, life depends on it. I I'm gonna go Alford. I think. Um, well, it depends See, on what, if it's like a baseline jumper, then maybe I would pick Cheney. But if I mean, can I pick where the shots from, or is it just anywhere? or is it a baseline jumper fading out of bounds? Because then you got to go Jay Edwards. Ah, it's a three pointer. It's a three pointer. I would. All right, so that's either Alford or Edwards. Then I'm going mean, to say I'm going to say Alford. Then. Point shooter, but... Yeah, I, I would say I would say Alford. See, I got to go Jay Edwards. I mean, I think he's the best clutch shooter in IU basketball history. My life depends on it. I have an answer, Christian Watford. Ooh, a write-in vote. You know what? That's good. That's good. I like it. All righty. Well, thank you all uh, for for listening to this. Thank you to uh, to Chris in the chat for helping to uh, to fact check us. Uh, we really enjoy doing this, and we will we'll continue uh, on our next episode. We'll go from thirteen to I don't know. Maybe we'll go all the way to twenty. Uh, we will see. But we will have another episode. We'll probably do a Hoosier hysteria preview. Really start digging in and looking toward the season because it's going to be here sooner than we know it. It's the end of September right now. I mean, you know, that second week in November uh, is going to be here before we know it. We'll, we'll have at least a couple more episodes of the Assembly Call before then so we can really dig in uh, and preview the season. Uh, but thank you for being here live. Thank you for listening on the podcast. Make sure you go to assemblycall.com slash join. Activate your free Assembly Call membership, and we will talk to you next time on the next episode of the Assembly Call. Uh, so I think that we're all, t- we're all on the same page with this one. This is a sweep. Sounds to me like you might have just issued a challenge to Chris Williams of IU Artifacts to find grainy footage of Ernie Andrus somewhere. Because if it's out there, he'll find it. I mean, just tossing it out there. <laughs> Not saying he's got to do it. I'm just saying I don't think he can. Yes. Well, this is this is fun. So apologies that we couldn't get all the way to 10. Uh, but we'll just we'll break this up and we'll do it uh, in, in five number chunks. I think it's fun. Uh, hopefully you all enjoy this uh, again. Uh, you know, Max Bielfeld for the number zero, Jared Jeffries for the number one, Christian Watford for the number two, Jay Edwards in probably our most uh, controversial heated debate at number three, Victor Oladipo at number four, and Ernie Andrus at number five. Uh, fun episode, fellas. It's good to, to get back together. Uh, we'll be doing episodes every other week until the season starts, and it's going to be here soon. We got uh, Hoosier Hysteria set for October 22nd, uh, so the season will be here before we know it. And we'll continue previewing it here on the assembly call. Any final thoughts, guys, before we sign off? I still say no, DJ think- White. I still say DJ White was better than Jay Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The 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 the, the tribe has spoken. It's Jay Edwards. I, I will say, uh, Jeremy Gray did chime in on this one, and he voted for Jay Edwards. So I'm going to go with his vote as kind of a a, a determining factor. What what does he know? What does he know? What does he have? <laughs> Literally everything. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. fair. <laughs> no, nothing for me. It was it was a fun exercise. It was an idea that I 
I had and kind of wondered how it would go. And it was uh, just as much fun as I hoped it would be. So looking forward to get some other, some other numbers. Not a lot of guys as we start to just kind of preview a little bit when we get through six through 10. Uh, an amazingly low number of guys who have worn those numbers over the course of time, but some big names in IU basketball history uh, for sure will be part of that debate. And we'll uh, take another go at Will Sheehy. He'll have a chance to, a second chance at, uh, at making it here. So uh, won't have the opportunity to make it at both numbers, but could uh, could find his way in there at number 10. We could have done this with Ralph Hamilton too, who seemed to change his number every year. Apparently, yeah, depending on, on what site you look at, it was, uh, yeah, finding the, some of the numbers in these older teams is a, a challenging endeavor at best. Now, Andy, should we hold any suspense for the number 40, or should we just should we just wait till we get there to reveal who the greatest number 40 is in IU basketball history? Boy, that's a, uh, that's a tough call. I mean, Tijon is going to be right in that conversation. Until we'll, we'll have to end. bring Chronic Hoosier on for that one to argue. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you guys for being here. Thanks everybody to everybody who watched us live. And if you listened on the podcast, thank you very much. Uh, remember, go to assemblycall.com slash join. Make sure you activate your free membership. Uh, and then if you need a t-shirt, go to hoosierproud.com. We're really excited about our partnership with them this year. Use the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. Same promo code that you can use at SeatGeek to get $20 off. It'll get you 15% off your shirts at Hoosier Proud. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Assembly Call. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks on our next brand new episode. Talk to you then. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment. But three's got it covered. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense.